All right. Good morning. Um, so Sean, you know, explained that we don't uh, normally do Kids Connect today. We are. If you haven't been here for the last few weeks, the reason why we're doing Kids Connect for the next couple weeks is because we're going to be in Hosea 1 through 5, which uh, has some subject matter that's a little different from what we're accustomed to. Um, you know, we talked about how we're going through the minor prophets because the minor prophets are some of the, the least understood and least read portions of scripture. And we want to be people that, that know and, and love and understand and read the Bible. And so we're going to go through this, this tough section. And uh, also Daniel and I wanted to set the record for who says the word whore the most times on a Sunday morning at BC. And so this was a good way to do that where it wasn't really offensive. Uh, we just read it a bunch in the Bible. Um, but really, I mean, like Hosea is not going to be an easy book to study, you know? And so we, uh, I threw up that chart last week that showed like just how, how much more difficult people who read the Bible say Hosea is, or the prophets are than the rest of scripture. And Hosea is like the most difficult of those. Uh, like the Hebrew is really difficult to understand. Hosea uses a lot of different language. He switched topics kind of at random. He mixes metaphors. He, he has a pretty, pretty disturbing, uh, subject matter. And so he's just kind of, kind of all over the place. And so it's, it's a, tough book to go through, but uh, we're, we're going to trudge through it together. And I, and I think what's going to happen is as we go through that, uh, it's going to be rewarding for us as God's people, because we're going to be reminded again and again and again of the love God has for his people. Uh, he, he's going to confront their sin. He's going to announce judgment, but he's going to also promise that even though they've been unfaithful, even though they've broken the covenant, even though they have committed adultery against him, he is still committed to them. He's still their God. They're still going to be his people. He's going to redeem them and bring them back. Uh, there's this guy named Dwayne Garrett that has this, this quote where he's talking about the book of Hosea and how he describes it, I think is, is pretty great. He says, it's as startling in its presentation of sin as it is surprising in its stubborn certainty of grace. I love that phrase there, the, the stubborn certainty of grace. So like despite the, the severity of their sin, despite their, their rebellion and the, the consistency of their rebellion, despite the fact that they're unfaithful, like it, it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't cause him to, to reject them. It doesn't cause him to be unfaithful to them. Even though it seems like all hope is lost, his, his grace is stubbornly certain. He continues to love his people. And that's what we're going to go see as we go through this book. And so we're going to do chapters one through three this morning. And so the way, the way we're going to do this is we're going to walk through it kind of a, a little chunk at a time. So we're going to see the, the brief intro. We're going to see God's instruction to Hosea to, to Mary Gomer. And then he's going to name his children. So if, if you're thinking about some baby names, you're going to get some great examples today of what not to name your kid. Uh, and then we're going to see Gomer's restoration in chapter three. So, so listen to verse one as we begin. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So this verse is where we get the name of the book. It tells us that, that what we're about to read is the prophecy of Hosea. And what we learn about him here is that he's the son of Beeri, and the word of the Lord came to him. He, he prophesied during the times of these 
kings. And, and what's interesting about this, this list of kings that Hosea gives is that he lists several kings from the, the southern kingdom, but he only lists one king from the north. And, and he's prophesying directly to the northern kingdom. And so it's kind of surprising that he does that. And I think we have a, 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 time, a time period chart here. Awesome. Okay, so the, the kings of the south, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, they span from 792 to 786 B.C. Wait a second. 686 B.C. I was going to say, that's a really small window. 686 B.C. Sorry about that typo there. Um, but the, the time period for Jeroboam is only, only 40 years. And so the, the point, there we go, the point to see here is that he's covering a, a big span of time when he talks about the, the southern kings, but only a small section of time when he talks about the northern king. And what that means is that he's leaving out a whole lot of kings. He leaves out Zechariah, Shalem, Menahem, Pekiah, Pekah, and Hosea. That's weird because he's speaking to the north. And, and, and what, what seems to be happening here is that he's leaving out all these northern kings because Hosea views Jeroboam as, as kind of the last legitimate king of the northern kingdom. Because after Jeroboam's reign, like nearly every single king after him is killed by the guy that takes the throne. And so it, it basically just kind of descends into anarchy after this point. Uh, Israel keeps getting weaker. Assyria in the north keeps getting stronger until eventually they come in and just, just wipe out the northern kingdom. And so this is the environment that Hosea is prophesying and one in which there, there pretty much is no leader in, in Israel after this point. And so he's prophesying during the time of the northern kingdom's downfall. So uh, verses 2 and 3 is where he tells Hosea to go and get married. It says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So the first thing the Lord tells Hosea is pretty surprising, right? If you weren't prepared for the book of Hosea and you're just kind of reading along in your Bible and you, you know, you read through the prophets and all of a sudden you get to Hosea and it says, the Lord tells him to go marry a prostitute and to have children with her like that. That, that's, that's surprising. That, that's shocking. That's not something that you were expecting. And so uh, why does God tell him to do this? says, because the people were committing great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So God is telling Hosea to do something extreme to communicate a point to his people. Uh, we see things like this throughout the prophets. So Isaiah, for example, he walked around naked for, for three years to talk about the, the coming exile of God's people. Ezekiel laid on his side for a year and a half next to a little model of Jerusalem that he built to talk about or to, to prophesy the, the siege of Jerusalem. So the prophets did some weird stuff, but Hosea kind of gets the, the weirdest thing. He, he command, God commands him to marry an immoral woman, to, to have children with her. He wants Hosea to enter into a covenantal relationship that's going to be a, an image, a picture of God's covenantal relationship with his people. And even though uh, he remains faithful to her, she's not going to remain faithful to him. After their marriage... This tells us that Gomer conceives and bears a son. And then the next kind of chunk of these chapters, we get the naming of the three kids. So the first kid is named Jezreel. 
It says, And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So he says, name him Jezreel, and he tells us why. It's because it's a, it's a pronouncement of judgment. Judgment is going to come. Punishment is going to come. He says, call him Jezreel because in just a little while, God is going to punish Israel for the blood of Jezreel. So Jezreel was a town in the valley that existed between Galilee in the north and, and Samaria. Uh, and it was a pretty significant event in, or a place in Israel's history. Uh, is most notably known for where Jehu, who's quoted in this passage, killed Joram, Jezebel, and the rest of Ahab's house. So he just kind of like violently wipes out these people. So Jezreel was kind of, kind of thought of as a place of violence. So this might be similar to how we would think of like Ground Zero or, or Gettysburg. It's a significant place that has a significant image tied to it in our minds. Jezreel is this, this place of violence. And one of the main reasons why Jehu did what he did, he he wipes out all of these people, is his opposition to their idolatry. But now Israel is going to be punished in the same place in a similar way uh, because they too are guilty of the same kinds of idolatry. So their their bow says is going to be broken. It's like their strength or power uh, in that same location. So the first kid is named Jezreel to announce that punishment is going to come against Israel for their idolatry, for their rejection of God. In the next couple of verses, we find out about the next kid. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. So this time a daughter is born and she's named No Mercy. Obviously the Lord is a big Cobra Kai fan, right? says she's no mercy because no longer will God have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. So God's, God's saying here for the northern kingdom, they're going to be punished. He, he's not going to have mercy on them. He is going to have mercy on the southern kingdom, on Judah. Uh, he's going to save them himself. He's not going to use any kind of earthly means of strength. So the kingdom, the people in the south, they're going to be delivered. God is going to show mercy to them, but the kingdom in the north is, is not. So from these first two kids, we find out that punishment is coming. And that they're not going to be shown mercy. Child 3 is announced in verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is a big one. Right? Throughout the Old Testament, uh, Israel has been known as God's people. They are the people of God. That, that was who they were. That was their identity. And now he's saying, that's not who you are anymore. You're not my people. Uh, God no longer considers them his people, and he no longer considers himself their God. But, but even though punishment is coming, with the announcement of this name, we get a, a promise of this getting reversed. It says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. So there's going to come a point where he's going to refer to them as his people again. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So one day, the people are going to be wiped out, punishment is going to come, but one day they're going to be great in number again, they're going to be brought back into God's family, they'll again be known as children of the living God, and they'll be together in the place that God has for them. 
But before that, there's more warnings of punishment because Israel are not living like who they really are. They are the people of God, but that's not how they're living. So before we read the next couple of verses, there, there's a couple metaphors that we're going to see as we move through Hosea that you need to kind of have in your mind. And so there, there's one of the, the unfaithful wife or mother, and Gomer's kind of the, the picture of that. The second one is that of kind of the children, the children of, of whoredom. And so loosely, kind of in your minds, think of the wife and the mother as kind of the, the institutions of Israel. So the princes, the rulers, the sacrificial system, kind of the, the machine that is Israel. Whereas the children, they're like the, the common people. The people that are just kind of trying to live life, but they've been led astray by, by the machine. And so uh, with that in mind, we're going to read the next couple verses. He says, Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. So here... Through Hosea, God is, is pleading with, with the children, with the common people, to, to call out their mother, right? to, to call the nation to repent, to, to turn back from their unfaithfulness. And the punishment here is to, to make their land a wilderness, to make her, her parched with thirst. It's going to kind of return them to the state they were before God redeemed them. It's, it's a promise of exile, right? God brought the people out of Egypt into the land, and now, because they've rebelled against him, he's going to take them out of the land. And it's not just the mother that's going to be punished. The children are going to be punished too because they followed in their ways. But this is a chance for them to repent. This is a chance for them to turn back. This is a chance for them to, to call their mother to repent. But ultimately, they're not going to. And so punishment is going to come. But what we're going to see as we work through this next section is that it's not just punishment for punishment's sake. It's a, a redemptive punishment. It's a punishment to restore them, to bring them back. It says, For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the bales which she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with a ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. 
So Israel is going to be punished because she went after other lovers. She, she believes that they're the ones that provided her with everything. They gave her the, brine, the, the bread, the water, the wool, the wine, the, the everything. Uh, but the Lord is going to put this, this hedge around her. He's going to build a wall against her so that she can't go after them. He's going to protect her from herself. Because of that, she's going to return to him. She's going to go back and she's going to recognize that it was the Lord that provided all those things for her that she misused, that she used for idolatry. It's for this redemptive, this, this protective and restorative punishment that God is going to take away all those things so that she realizes that it was him that provided them. The result is that Israel is going to be exposed uh, her idolatry is going to kind of be like laid bare and evident before all the people. There's not going to be anybody to res- rescue her. And it's going to end all the, the festivals and, and feasts and idolatrous worship that took place in the land. And it's going to put an end to all the things that she trusted in more than the Lord. So the Lord is going to, going to pour out this punishment. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a massive punishment but it's to bring them back. It's to restore them. It's ultimately to redeem them. And we see next that there's going to be a restoration. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the name of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So God is going to draw the mother and the children back to himself. He's going to give them back the land. It's no longer going to be a wilderness, uh, but it's going to be vineyards. It's going to be prosperous. It's going to provide for the people again. It says the valley of Achor. That's the place where kind of Aden's, or, or Achan's sin of greed happened. It's going to be a place of hope for the people. And Israel will again love God like she did in the past, like when they were brought out of Egypt. He again is going to be her husband. He's going to remove all her idolatry. He's going to make a new covenant with them. He's going to do away with all the conflict and give them safety. And they're going to be betrothed to him forever in righteousness and justice and love and mercy. They're truly going to know the Lord. The heavens are going to bring forth this produce. The Lord's going to have mercy on no mercy. Not my people is going to be his people again. And he's going to say that he's their God. So he's going to announces this punishment. He's going to pour it out on them to bring them back and it's going to bring them back. They again will be his people. He again will show them mercy. And in chapter three, we see that the Lord has Hosea redeem Gomer in a very similar way. It says, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a 
Lethic of Barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So Hosea buys back Gomer. Like literally buys her back. He, he redeems her. And the, these actions are explained, saying that Israel is going to be without king, prince, sacrifice, pillar, ephod, or household gods. And notice in that, that list, right, only one of those things in, is inherently bad. Right, these things that they turn to other than God, only, only one of them is inherently wrong, and that's, that's household gods. Everything else were things that God had, had given Israel, but they had hoped in them. They trusted in them. They turned to them more than the Lord. And so they worshiped them instead of him. And because of that, he has taken them away. To restore and redeem his people, God is going to remove those things from them. And they're going to return. They're going to seek the Lord. Uh, and the Messianic king will be there. And Israel will come and worship him in, in goodness in the latter days. And so this is something that's going to happen in the future after this punishment falls. So in these chapters, the beginning of Hosea, as he starts his prophecy, we find out that Israel has been in the past and currently is unfaithful to God. Because of that, God calls Hosea to go out and, and marry an unfaithful woman to be this picture of the love he has for his people. God is going to pour out punishment on them, but his punishment on them is going to be restorative. It's going to be redemptive. It's going to bring them back. He again is going to show them mercy. They're going to be his people again. He's going to be their God again. That's going to come after the punishment falls. But one thing that we haven't talked about is why would God have Hosea do this? Right, we talked about those like prophetic acts, right? Isaiah walking around naked for three years. Ezekiel laying on his side for a year and a half. Right? Just, just try to imagine that conversation. Or this one. Right? God asks Hosea to do this. I mean, I think any of us would would want to know why. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's a picture, right? It says of God's love for his people. But I think, I think Hosea is put in this situation to, to show, to, to demonstrate the love that God has for his people, right? his, his covenantal love for them. And not, not just for other people, but for Hosea too. You know, like we, what we see is that Hosea throughout this book continues to love his wife, even though she's unfaithful to him. And his love is redemptive. It's, it's restorative. It, it brings her back. Even though she sins against him, he gives her grace. Even though she breaks the covenantal agreement they have, he doesn't. Even though she abuses his love, he keeps on loving her. God has Hosea love Gomer because God loves Gomer. Because he wants to redeem her. He wants to bring her out of the life she has. This book shows us that God loves the unlovable. And he redeems those who seem like they are beyond redemption. And that's good news for us. 
Right? Because even though we probably all wouldn't think of ourselves as unlovable, we kind of are sometimes. Maybe a lot of the time. Right? We can be selfish. We can be unfaithful. Right? How, how often do we know exactly what the Lord wants us to do and we don't do it? We do what we want. And yet he keeps loving us. He remains faithful even when we're unfaithful. He gives us grace even when we continue to sin against him. God has Hosea love Gomer to give us a picture of the kind of love he has for us in Christ. He sent Jesus to bring us back. To bring us back into relationship with him. To, to restore us, to redeem us, to save us from ourselves. So as we move through Hosea, what we're going to get is reminder after reminder after reminder of this redeeming love that God has for us. We're going to see that even though the people rebel, even though the people reject him, even though the people turn to everything other than him, he's going to send them away. But he's going to bring them back. His Punishment is redemptive because his love is redemptive. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the book of Hosea is in scripture. That, that we can read it and, and benefit from it, even though it's, it's surprising, even though it's shocking, even though it's, it's startling. It gives us a picture of your love and grace that we don't get anywhere else. It shows us the, the stubborn certainty of the grace you have for us. We pray that as we go through Hosea and the minor prophets together. That it wouldn't just be about us, us learning how to understand the prophets or us, us reading passages that most people don't read. But that in it, we would, we would see more and more of who you are and what you've done for us. That you would, you would stir our affections for you. That you would increase our appreciation for the ways in which you have saved us from ourselves ways in which you remain faithful to your people when we break our covenant with you. I pray that you would send your spirit to, to convict us and challenge us through uh, this passage, through this book. And that you would continually, like you do for, for your people in Hosea, you would continually bring us back to yourself when we turn away. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.